the foghorn welcome to the cabbage ships podcast where we try and cut through the fog and murk shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day i'm chris cabas and i'm chris cervello coming up 15 months after the disastrous fire aboard the uss bonham richard the u.s navy finally released its investigation into the matter the report is scathing in its recitation of deplorable events and actions, all leading to the loss of the ship. We'll discuss the findings as well as where the Navy goes from here with journalist Sam Legrone of USNI News, who were the first to report in depth on the investigations. But first, a quick roundup of Naval news around the world. Well, as we said, the US Navy on October 20th released, released its long anticipated investigation report into the July 2020 fire that effectively destroyed the 41,000-ton assault ship Bonham Richard at San Diego. The report, along with a review of recent major ship fires released at the same time, details hundreds of points of failure that led to the loss of the ship. It also named 36 individuals, including five current or now retired flag officers, for actions or inactions leading to the loss of the ship. The report's release prompted widespread coverage from mainstream media, worldwide. As we said, we'll talk more about the reports in a couple of minutes. The Chinese and Russian Navy staged a major provocation October 18th when a combined 10-ship force passed through the Sagaro Straits between the Japanese main islands of Honshu and Hokkaido. The warships, five from each navy, continued into the, into the Pacific Ocean, all the while closely monitored by Japanese self-defense forces. It was the first such Chinese or Russian military passage through the Straits, which are only 12 miles wide at their narrowest point, although the center of the Straits is considered to be international waters. The move is the latest in an escalating series of freedom of navigation or FONOPS passages through disputed or narrow waterways. As recently as October 14th, the U.S. destroyer Dewey and Canadian frigate Winnipeg made a Taiwan Strait passage between Taiwan and the Chinese mainland a roughly monthly transit that China routinely protests. Britain's carrier strike group 21 with HMS Queen Elizabeth joined with the US carrier Carl Vinson and Japanese Kaga in the Bay of Bengal on October 17th for a major partnership exercise and followed the just concluded Malabar exercise with India, the US, Australia, and Japan. Queen Elizabeth is now on the homeward bound leg of her deployment with exercises scheduled in the Arabian Sea and elsewhere over the next several weeks. The Brazilian Navy's sailing training ship, Cisne Branco, was damaged October 18th in a spectacular accident in the port of Guayaquil, Ecuador. Caught while being maneuvered by tugboats and strong current, the ship crashed into a large pedestrian bridge and suffered severe damage to her foremast, while a small Ecuadorian Navy tug was pulled over and capsized. Numerous videos of the accident quickly appeared on social media, but there were no injuries. On October 15th, the destroyer USS John S. McCain arrived at its new home port of Everett, Washington, part of a large transition of mostly older U.S. warships, swapping home ports in Japan with newer ships from the States. McCain was forward deployed to Yokosuka, Japan, since 1997. And uh, in the middle of October, the cruiser USS Gettysburg was back at sea for the first time since mid-2015, six years. 
The ship is one of several U.S. Navy cruisers that have essentially been out of service for some years, awaiting major modernization overhauls. The overhauled ships are intended to replace up to seven cruisers the Navy wants to decommission over the next year in the face of congressional opposition. And that's a look at Navy news stories this week. All right, let's uh, shift gears and go to the discussion portion of the podcast. Um, you know, there's really one topic that jumps out. I mean, there, there were there were no other topics that uh, that that made sense to even dive into uh, other than talking about the report on the Bonhomme Shard, as well as the the larger fires report that accompanied it. Uh, we're very lucky to have today joining us uh, Sam Legrone, the editor of USNI News. Sam, you guys were the first organization to really uh, report on the findings this week. And I mean, even beyond that, you've uh, continued from the time the fire uh, was reported uh, throughout the year plus it took to get this investigation out. You guys have been all over this. I'd like to to start with your big picture thoughts on the the findings from uh, the fire um you know how did we get here what's what stuck out with to you and then you know let, let's kind of see where the conversation takes us sure well th- uh, thanks for having me all um so to start with i think what you see like uh with this report like you see with a lot of the other command investigations where something has gone horribly wrong uh that a lot of things had to just fail or uh, in order for this thing to happen. So uh, just a quick summary of the incident, July 12th, um, shortly after uh, 8 a.m. in the morning on Pier 2 in uh, Naval Station San Diego, a fire started in the lower uh, V uh, or the lower vehicle storage, stowage area of the Bonham Richard, which was kind of uh, finishing up a $250 million maintenance period, midlife maintenance period. Um, and uh, it went unnoticed by the crew for about uh, 10 minutes or so. Uh, and eventually uh, they realized there was a fire aboard. Uh, the 87% of the firefighting stations were uh, unavailable. They weren't, they weren't repaired. They weren't um, able to be used. Uh, the crew didn't realize that they had some fire... Uh, the crew didn't realize that they had some fire suppression uh, options through um, the AAFFF system that was there. Uh, the There was some poor command and control between the firefighting elements on the shore with Fed Fire and with the uh, San Diego Fire Department. And so essentially what you had is, uh, uh, we, we, we put in our story in our lead, it was a cascade of failures that uh, it allowed a, a whole hour before somebody was actually able to get water on the fire. Um, you know, uh, 15, 20 minutes of people trying to figure out whether or not they could wear their specific uniforms under their turnout gear um, so they could go and fight the fire. Uh, just just, just failure after failure after failure uh, from this 136 uh, uh, sailor uh, detachment that was... Uh, you know, um, aboard the ship when this fire broke out. So, I mean, essentially, that's the the big takeaway from this is that uh, the big takeaway from this report is that there were also they weren't ready, they weren't ready, and the um, the determination from you know federal investigators and from the ATF was that this was an act of uh, arson, you know, that was their determination. Someone has been charged um, 
uh, allegedly to have set the fire. But even still, uh, even if this was an intentional fire, the crew wasn't prepared to go and fight it in, in an adequate way. And they weren't able to get it under control. And then it essentially they lost the ship. Um, Chris Cavis, um, how the Navy handled, how the, the crew on board the uh, Bonham Richard, how Fed Fire and others, how they handled this after the fire started. Um, Black Swan incident, Gray Rhino incident. I mean, and, and what I mean by that is, is this, you know, a one-off or uh, is this something that the surface community should have seen coming that they should have paid attention to, um, you know, your, your take yeah, I mean, this, you know, th th there's so much here to talk about. There's so many points of failure, just just everywhere you looked in this entire investigation turned up things that just shouldn't have happened that way. It shouldn't have worked out from the get go. Um, you know, right away, there's smoke starting to come from the ship right away. 18 sailors from two destroyers run down, run over to the pier. Hey, we're here to help. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Uh, you guys just kind of hang out over here. They never used them. Never, never anything that they offered to go on board the ship. Nah, just wait here. I mean, it's, this is like within, you know, they're the earliest minutes. Um, the CO showed up on the pier. He was, he was home, which is fine, but he, and, and, uh, he was called, but he, but he, but he arrived on the pier and the XO arrived on the pier, but they never took charge of the fire. Nobody was in charge of this. Um, nobody was, was, there were no, there was no points of command, um, from the get go. It's just, it's just astounding that, that over and over and over, um, people just didn't react. They weren't ready for it. They didn't know what to do when it happened. They continued to not know what to do, what was happening. It's astounding. That's, th these aren't single points of failure. This is a, this is a rotten culture. I mean, I, I just don't know any other way to put it is that I don't know what y'all think you're doing but you're not doing what you think you're doing um fires do happen fires on a ship or or have always been one of the primary hazards of a ship at sea or in port they can always happen and that's that's always a top concern no regardless of the condition of the ship or the status of the ship there's no well we're in port we're going to stand down there's no where well, we're in maintenance period we're going to stand down that shouldn't be happening at all there, where was the fire plan? Where, where was the damage control officer? Where was, I mean, they should have had a fire plan. So what if you're, if you're, uh, a lot of your firefighting systems are degraded because of the maintenance going on. What have we got left? What's the alternative? They're, the ships are designed for, for bad things to happen to them. Why didn't they just pull? I mean, they should have, have pulled hose, fire hose the night before the fire to be ready in case that, oh, I don't want to do, you, you wonder why, are they just lazy? They don't want to impose on people? Oh, then they'll have to haul it out. Then they'll have to put it back. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's relentless, um, the, the points of failure here. Uh, it's just really astounding and, and, and it's depressing. It's not, it's depressing. And, and you also kind of wonder, where's the sense of outrage here? Where, where's the fury? This, these things should not be happening. I mean, you know, the Navy tried in the, in the earliest days where the fire was still going on. They, 
we're, we're diverting from the mistakes that were continually being made and were clearly being made to talk about, you know, our brave sailors are coming down here trying to fight the fire. Well, that's nice, but that's not what we're talking about here. This fire shouldn't be happening. And why is it still burning? Um, it's not supposed to happen. I mean, when, when, when you get down to it, it's simply not supposed to happen. There should be multiple, multiple, multiple layers of failure here. And that's, that's the big takeaway. Sam, in your reporting um, on, the, um, on the findings of the investigation and then the folks that you've talked to in addition to the investigation, how do you feel, how do they feel that um, they've got their arms around uh, the issues that caused the failures and that as the VCNO put in his uh, letter at the top of the investigation, you know, that this will be the last such incident uh, you know, across the Navy. I mean, do you feel like the Navy's got their arms around these issues? That's a great question. I think when you go and talk to the VCNO, so he did a press call that we were on uh, yesterday, uh, Admiral Lesher did. And uh, one of the things that he stressed was that we need to be able to communicate uh, to sailors that what is the essential things they need to do while they're in a ship in port. So if you think about this, you know, the, the report uh, on the command investigation and the major fires report where they looked at 15 fires that occurred between the 2012 loss of USS Miami due to an arson fire to now, um, they evaluated all of those and they found a couple of common through lines uh, was that most of these really dangerous fires happen while a ship was in maintenance. And so you have a different mentality as opposed to, you know, we're on a ship on patrol doing our war fighting thing um, and where that damage control, uh, you know, gene is, is, is kind of baked into everything that they do as opposed to the maintenance component of it where uh, you have smaller duty watches, you know, so they were on a six section watch um, on Bonhomme Richard when they were in the maintenance yard, which means their crew of a thousand was split across, you know, six different duty sections. So there were only about 130 people aboard when that was happening, which is fine. Um, you know, I talked to some sailors who were in maintenance who did three section duty watches and then they, you know, so about 300 or so sailors for a ship that large. Uh, and then they hated it because you could never get a weekend. Um, but you know that's that's fine especially considering you've got a ship that's been in for what almost two years of of maintenance by the time they pull into the pier um but what the investigation and vcno uh subsequent kind of follow-on with the major fires review found was that there was this different mentality that happened when you're in maintenance and that's why the whole point uh after the miami fire was they created this new set of standards uh, to apply to when they were in the yard, the, the 8010 rules. Um, and what you, they saw time and time again, subsequent to the Miami, was that um, everyone knew what they needed to do. Uh, they knew they took the proper lessons learned. They just weren't applied. I mean, no one opened up the three ring binder and did the consultation. It was like, oh, we need to do this to make sure uh, fire protection is adequate. We need to do this to make sure uh, fire protection is adequate. But uh, another thing that they found in the major fires investigation was, hey, if your skipper was concerned about DC, 
guess what you were good at? You were good at damage control. If your skipper was less interested in training to damage control, guess what you were less good at? Damage control. So it was funny. So I was having this conversation uh, with a couple other folks uh, following the release of the report. So what the Navy's proposing right now to do is create this, um, uh, I think it's the learn to act board is what they're calling it right now, but it's sort of in the same vein of the um, requirements, uh, the, the, the same type of committee that they created after the Fitzgerald and the McCain collisions in 2017, where, you know, you have kind of this holistic look at the, uh, the enterprise. Um, and the idea is, is they're going to take a look at all of the things related to this, uh, you know, safety in port, fire safety in port, and they're going to uh, wrap it up into, you know, this committee and they're going to streamline things. And, you know, um, is it adding another layer of bureaucracy or adding additional oversight? How much of this is designed to keep Congress off their back to say that, hey, look, we're actually doing something. And uh, instead of sending the scariest uh, DC master chiefs on the planet to all these individual chiefs messes and just scaring the bejesus out of everyone and saying, Hey, you got, y'all got to do right. That's another part about this, um, report that really stood out to me was not only, you know, was the, the, according to the findings of Admiral Khan, who, uh, um, did the investigation, it was not only that, you know, sort of the officers in charge, uh, that were not, up on the fire safety in port, it was also the senior enlisted, which is a really troubling sign that, you know, you have senior enlisted sailors that aren't taking this DC or this damage control uh, responsibility seriously. And, uh, you know, the, the one anecdote that sticks out is, you know, they're putting on their turnout gear uh, and there was uh, some some of the chiefs were like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Can we go and wear our Navy working uniform type threes, right? It's the camouflage looking stuff that they wear uh, while they're underway right now, or do we have to wear coveralls? And there was like some confusion there as to like whether or not we could go and adequately fight the fire if we were in these pants versus these pants. And it's just like, again, you know, I mean, this this conversation is really tough to condense into into like 20 minutes because you don't, don't even know where to start. But I, I think it, it needs to come down to, um, how do you ensure that the skippers of these ships, uh, the XO and uh, the, you know, the CMC take this stuff seriously when you're in port? And, and that's, that is the solution that I have not seen in any of these investigations. Like, how do you go and impart that, you know, is that, is that going to be able to come in from the top down? What other work do they need to do? I'm not sure, but, um, you know, I think that's the real thing that stood out was just the people just didn't understand what to do. And in this particular instance with the Bonham Richard, it didn't seem to be a priority from the command triad. Chris, what I mean, when, when, when you yeah. look at this, you, you saw all the, the levels of accountability and the people who were um, pretty, pretty direct stuff. You know, so-and-so's conduct directly led to the loss of the ship. Um, but how high did this go? When you when you were reading, there's 36 individuals named in here. I guess the the highest ranking person that they called out would would be uh, the surf yeah the slow boss at the time Admiral right. Brown. Vice Admiral right? Rich Brown. Right. Yeah, and so you, you know I mean ultimately his job is to man train and equip the ships in the Pacific Fleet, uh, and if there was a major training deficiency you know vis a vis damage control. 
um, you know, sort of the buck stops with him and, and all the people up to him. You know, whenever I see 36 people that they spread accountability around to, it's sort of the, and, and I'm stealing from people that I've read on social media and others, but it, but it struck with me, you know, if 36 people are responsible, then really nobody's responsible, right? So, I mean, it, it ultimately is a captain of the ship who should have ensured that his crew was properly trained and that the, the ship had all of the tools that it needed to be able to respond to th this type of fire. Um, you know, the fact that it burned for four days and the fact that people didn't know what uniform and all the other details that have come out in the reporting and the investigation, they're interesting. But at the end, at the end of the day, I, I, I think it's on the, the captain of the ship. But what I take away from this bigger picture is, is I worry that this is the latest example of an organization that is rotting from the inside out. When you heard the anecdotes from the ships that were fired on off the coast of Yemen several years ago, the Nitsa and, and others, um, you know, they were, they never thought it could happen to them. Um, I'm sure that the sailors on board USS Bonham Richard never thought that they would have such a conflagration that they saw on, on that day in July. Somehow the, the Navy needs to get its arms around the lessons learned from what happened off of Yemen, the lessons learned from the ship collisions, the lessons learned from Bonham Richard, and make sure that the big things stick. Um, we can't be here in another three or four years with the same sort of, hey, every, you know, the half-life of these lessons was three years and we forget all this and we're, we're right back to the bad behavior that, that caused this to happen. I'm satisfied with the work that was done in the investigation. It, it's very thorough, but the proof will be in how well these lessons stick um, and I roll my eyes, Sam and Chris, on, you know, learning boards and bureaucracy and things like that, I, I'm, because that, I mean, that's, that is to make the folks on the third deck and on the hill happy. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this is 0506 and E7, E9 leadership that, that has to make this stuff uh, not occur. I, I have a question. I mean, actually for you, Chris. Uh, you were on the inside of a lot of these decisions over the years, um, trying to deal with essentially bad news and how do you how do you deal with it from the Navy's point of view. Um, it took 15 months for these reports to come out. 15 months after the fire, uh, it's it's hard to you know in a in a in a service where the leaders are constantly talking about we need a sense of urgency, we need to move. You kind of wonder. Okay, 15 months, that was a pretty long time when you get down to it. It took you that long to figure a lot of this stuff out. The CO was never relieved. Uh, the commander of the ship, who, does, who comes out pretty poorly in this report, um, also presided over the decommissioning ceremony. Um, and then there's the, the media rollout itself. Was this, was this okay as far as you're concerned? Was it was, I mean, in terms of... You know, they had to do their congressional notifications and they they seem to have been some decision at the indecision about how exactly to put it out and we're going to release the reports themselves in the end they did but uh, from the stuff that you've understood uh, what do you what's your impressions of taking 15 months to put this stuff out and then finally coming out the way they did yeah so um, I mean I'd be interested what you guys heard as well but what what I've heard is that um, there was a concern that if they acted too quickly and put out something too quickly and didn't give it the um, the attention that it needed, 
um, then the lessons learned wouldn't stick and that, that it, you know, it would just sort of be like water off a duck's back and the fleet would go back to business as usual. That those that jumped into this investigation realized very quickly that there was um, a failure at many levels and therefore the, the fleet and the uh, TICOM and the DC leadership really wanted to drill into the big picture things that got us here. And so they didn't feel a sense of urgency once they felt that the rest of the fleet was surveyed and that they had received the immediate lessons and, and that they weren't at risk to having this type of incident occur. Um, they wanted to really dig into this and be thorough and make sure that, um, you, you know, that, that they mined this for all the lessons learned. I'm actually okay with that. I, I, I thought that they could have done a better job of explaining that to people like Sam and to like you and to others that, you know, why it was taking so long. Um, I, I, I think, you know, and I'm sure there was some lawyer chirping in their ear telling them, don't say anything. You're going to queer the investigation. Um, and, and that's unfortunate because I think it was an opportunity lost, but I'm okay that it took 15 months. I mean, I'm, I'm satisfied as both a retired old retired guy and, and, and as a taxpayer that, that, you know, the work was done here. Um, I think the bigger communication challenge is, is what they do with these lessons learned. If it goes just in a log book or a binder and it's like, Hey, make sure you review that. That's disappointing. If this is, if all these are, you know, if it goes into command leadership school, if it goes into, uh, you, you know, the, the chief petty officer indoctrination, if it goes into boot camp, all the places that you would want this to go so that it be, becomes part of the Navy's culture, then I think that this will have, the 15 months will have been worth it. If it doesn't, and we're right back here in, you know, six months, three years, whatever, um, this is a real wasted crisis uh, that the Navy could have learned from. Sam, for, Sam, for your, your for your point of view, what what are you going to be looking for from the Navy here on out? Well, six I mean, months, is, a year, all this. Six months, a year from now. I mean, we're going to be writing about this for a long time, um, and I think it touches on some of the other issues that holistically, what's going on with the Navy right now. I mean. Is the organization particularly healthy at the moment? I mean, I think it's better than it was maybe three or four years ago, but I mean, there's still some, there's some still like fundamental problems. And this is a symptom of sort of still that larger issue where is the, the fleet's really stretched still. I mean, 294 active ships in the battle force at the moment. Uh, with 100 underway at any given time. I mean, that, that ratio is still pretty out of whack. Um, you know, uh, when Reagan left the Middle East, it would be the, this has been the longest time I think there hasn't been a carrier parked in the Gulf of Oman since uh, the Lincoln was scrambled there in 2019. Uh, there's a huge challenge coming in the Western Pacific um, in terms of, operating ships out there on a, on a, on a pretty high tempo and a pretty high, uh, you know, level of effort. Um, and, um, it, it's, I, I, I see all of these things coalescing into, into just a major challenge for the Navy. And when you just can't do this basic stuff in port, it, it leads somebody leads people to question, well, how can I have confidence in you to do all of these other things? And that's what I hear from, you know, a lot of the, you know, just regular non-trade reporter folks. Um, and then just like, just regular people, like 
day to day going like, well, how are we going to be able to win this competition with China or whoever if, you know, we can't keep our ships from catching on fire while they're in port? Uh, I mean, there's so many different challenges that have that, that has to be surmounted by the Navy. And then, oh, by the way, um, you, it doesn't look like there's going to be a ton of budgetary relief. So one of the other stories that's going to be tied to this moving forward is the fact that Navy installations is going to take a major haircut um, in the 22 budget. I mean, we wrote we were a little ahead of the tape from. Uh, you know the the approval of the uh, the the twenty two the the FY twenty two um, Navy budget, but the installations is uh, has to cut eight hundred and twenty two million dollars from their budget in the next year. Um, and right now, it doesn't affect port operations, but it's gonna if if it's going to be uh, moving in this term. So it's not like there's going to be extra money for firefighters or extra money for infrastructure or extra money for these things. So this becomes another priority that they have to go and fund. And then that money has to come from somewhere else. Is that operations and maintenance? Is it, um, you know, the shipbuilding accounts? So it's all very tenuous because no one really has a clear kind of full throated explanation of this is where this is who we are. And this is where we are going forward. And I think I and 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 that's not a shot at like, you know, the CNO, I think, who's been you know, doing his best with without stable civilian leadership until relatively recently or um, Secretary Del Toro, who just got there. But like the Navy has a lot of work to do to kind of put itself together and kind of recognize the challenge going forward. I mean, pick an issue. We're at the cusp of new fighter program, new shipbuilding program uh, in terms of, you know, SSNX is getting worked on right now. DDGX is getting worked on right now. You got the new frigate coming out. So you have all of these these uh, new material things that have to come out and get integrated in the fleet. Uh, and then on top of that, you, you have all this stuff, but there is no real cognizant way in which they're going to employ it. Because, I mean, we're still stuck in that whole, you know, uh, ARGMU goes on a float from the East Coast, ARGMU goes on a float from the West Coast. Uh, see, uh, East Coast CSG sales comes home, West Coast CSG goes and comes home. And it's we're, we're kind of stuck in this very kind of static deployment model that's just getting really stretched out. And that's what that's another thing that, you know, is related to these reports is the, you know, it's it's not stated explicitly, particularly in the Von Armour report, but, you know, the, the uh, OFRP uh, as part of these uh, these fires is also another part of it. Like, there's a there's a lot of people that weren't on those ships uh, when they were in maintenance because they were grabbed to meet the meet the fit fill requirements for some of the ships that did have to deploy. So that's another component of this, right? So it's all the the thing is is like okay, you only have limited amount of resources and you have to meet this level of operational tempo. So you, something's got to give, and I think that's you know where you're starting to see uh, stuff like these fires. Is that, hey, if, um, you know, I'm not saying this particularly in the case of Bonham Richard, but if you, hey, you know, I've got, um, you know, essential personnel, special senior enlisted folks that are getting pulled from my ship and getting thrown on another ship to fill a billet because of the fit fill requirements from Fitz and McCain. I mean, you know, somebody's just, you're, you're just kind of like passing the buck onto another part of the organization. So, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, I mean, all respect to the Navy, it's a super complicated problem that they have to kind of sort through right now. But it's it's one where it's 
all of these things are so intrinsically tied and you know i mean i guess i've been around long enough to see that like okay you have a flail exercise and you focus on this one thing and everybody gets really liquored up on this one idea that they have to go and solve and and work on and right now it's compliance to the 80 10 manual and preventing fires and port and you're going to pour some resource you're going to pour resources and attention to this particular set of problems um and what does something else do you lose sight of something else um and 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 this becomes everybody's focus right now because you know you're, you're dealing with hundreds of congressional inquiries and garamendi and courtney i'm sure are working on a joint hearing right now before the hask where you know they're going to ask all sorts of pointed questions um, on uh, ship maintenance and uh, fire prevention in port, and then you know something else is going to come up, you know, and it's it's just on and 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 on. There's just no end to it, Sam. But we're going to have to call an end to it here. So, um, Sam, uh, this has been a great talk, a great discussion, and always good to have USNI news on. Um, truly. Um, you guys are out there beating the bushes every single day, uh, like nobody's business. So good for you. Um, you got a great perspective and, um, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks fellas. Now hear this. Now hear this. Now all right. All right. This. All right. As my good friend, Chris Cavus would say, you know what that means on this week's squawk box. Chris Cavus has some thoughts on the Bonham Richard fire. Well, it's hard to know where to start or end for that matter. And considering the Bonham Richard fire and what these reports have found. To say the least, the findings are disturbing. A crew completely unprepared to deal with an import fire aboard a ship still in a major maintenance state, a shore based support establishment unprepared to handle the fire from its earliest stages, all driven by ineffective oversight from multiple commanders and authorities. Although arson is listed as the cause of the fire, it really doesn't matter. As far as the Navy should be concerned, a fire broke out. And then what happened? Never before in the 246-year history of the U.S. Navy had a fire broken out aboard a warship in a major base and burned for four and a half days. The ship and the $2 billion-plus investment it represented is lost. One of the recurring findings of the investigations is that in the aftermath of the 2012 fire and constructive total loss of the nuclear-powered submarine Miami, another event without precedent, the many fleet-wide lessons learned and corrective procedures to be implemented were forgotten or simply ignored. The Navy paid great attention to the Miami fire, but the most recent investigations show that many sailors and their command authorities simply went on with a business-as-usual attitude. It makes one wonder, what does it take to get the Navy to change a culture that clearly has fundamental systemic problems? Well, I don't know. Despite all the attention paid this week to the Bonham Richard fire, all the verbiage and all the hand-wringing, I wonder how many of those lessons will stick. I don't like to admit it, but my gut feeling is the worst is still to come. Yeah, something tells me we're going to be talking about this for a long time. Well, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go to, out to Vagamaradian for his support, as well as to the Fink and Terry Marine Group and Huntington Ingalls Industries for their continued support of the defense and aerospace effort. And be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Heart Radio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cavis. And I'm Chris Cervello. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Hey.